Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. My name is Max Brown, and of course, my guest today, well, I'm super excited, and so I won't uh, delay the introduction here. It's Hitendra Wadwa. And Hitendra, he's a researcher and, man, in my opinion, just a really thoughtful individual about how we lead going forward and how we lead, frankly, and how we treat each other, not only in our businesses, but in life as well. Um, he's a professor of practice at the Columbia Business School, where he's a class on personal leadership and success, and he has done so for many years, and he's been one of the most popular leadership, uh, leadership courses and electives, actually earning him the Dean's Award for Teaching Excellence and the Executive MBA Commitment to Excellence Award. His mission is to codify and teach scientific principles of success in life and in leadership, and I love that because this show is all about talking about excellence in life and leadership. And he has his doctorate in management science from MIT, and he's a lifelong study of the world's mystic traditions. Um, and he's, he's a mathematician. He brings a lot of rigor there, but he's also a true seeker, and he talks about the spirit. And Hitendra, I'm, I'm grateful that you could join me on this show today for so many reasons. And your writing and the work that you're doing um, got me really excited to reach out, and I'm grateful you could join me. Thank you, Max, uh, for that very gracious introduction. Um, you and I, I think, uh, yeah, are on the same quest. I am excited to use this moment to connect with your audience and exchange some, yeah, stimulating thoughts with you. So thank you. So one of the things that attracted me, of course, to your message was one of the posts that you, you, you shared about Abraham Lincoln. What was it about Abraham Lincoln that you suggest he would do if he were alive today and leading today? Yeah, it was interesting because back in April, this was the last week of April, I was reading a piece of history mm -hmm. um, about something that happened pretty much exactly 157 years ago on April 30th, Thursday, 1863. And that was a U.S. Senate resolution that Lincoln then translated into a proclamation, a proclamation of a day of what he called prayer and fasting. The mm -hmm. civil war at that time was, you know, still very active and raging. And in his message to the American people, you know, he invited them to slow down life and step back and to use this day for some deep reflective work. And so I got very curious, you know, exactly 157 years ago and around pretty much essentially that same moment in the month of April, here we are going through the crisis of our lifetime, what is it that Lincoln invited the American people to do at that time in the crisis of their lifetime? Mm -hmm. And he said things like this. And now I quote, you know, from, from his uh, proclamation. He said, look, um, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved, you know, these many years in peace and posterity. We have grown in numbers, in wealth and power, like no nation has grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with this unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the need of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was like, wow, you know, mm -hmm. we don't really talk about God in the modern day life of, uh, you know, a Columbia Business School graduate. 
Um, we barely do so in the world of business that you and I, you know, operate in. And I was like, this might be a little bit too bold, although it stirs my heart. It stirs my heart. But I felt, you know, there's perhaps a way to make this an even more inclusive message for today's time, which is whether or not, you know, you, you are a person of faith, that is not as relevant, you know, to the pertinence of Lincoln's message for today's time. What is more pertinent is that he was just essentially seeking to stir our spirits. Mm-hmm. to move us to a place of humble inquiry, mm-hmm. to make us reflect on, is it not the case that we too, in the year 2020, had been lulled into a state of complacency, that we as humankind had arrived, that with our technology and our economic prowess and our wealth and our power, you know, especially if you think about you know, these, these highly accomplished multi-billionaires that are out there, right? And these, mm-hmm. you know, presidents of big nations that are out there, you know, wasn't it the case that many of them kind of feel invincible (laughs) in today's time? Mm -hmm. And all it takes is a microscopic, invisible virus to wreck this kind of a global damage and bring humankind to its knees Mm -hmm. and make us suddenly realize that, my heavens, we have come nowhere close to really mastering nature and our relationship with the planet and with life and with the universe. We thought we had it all figured out. This is what we do over the summer. There'd be Disneyland, there'd be proms, there'd be graduations, there'd be promotions, there'd be profits. And And now look at what happens. And it kind of like is inflicted on us almost just overnight, right? Yes. And so I thought like, it's not about God or not God. That would be a distracting aspect of Lincoln's message. The more fundamental part of what he was saying is that humanity, be humble, recognize that you are just a small part of this ocean of life and consciousness and the universe, and you have a certain role to play, but it's got to be something that is harmonized, that is integrated, that is made whole by the full system of the cosmos. And have you reflected on what your, not just rights are, and your assertions of power are over nature and the planet and the universe, but also what your responsibilities are. What is a way to cohabit between you, other forms of life, mm-hmm. and the phenomena of this universe? And are you doing your part well, humanity, or is something else required her? And his message was to the American people at that time. I think today that message is ringing true, isn't it, for all mm-hmm. of us across the globe? Boy, I do too. And thank you for sharing it. I think it did take some. I, th- I think it does take some bravery, actually, and some courage to be able to bring out quotes like this one. And, and like you said, you don't have to believe in God in order for this message still to be relevant. I happen to believe in God. And so when I heard this, I thought, wow, it really did touch my heart because I do believe that at times we have forgotten him and, and, and his gracious hand, which preserved us, to quote Lincoln, as you, as you just did you know, and that preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And then to think that we did that on our own could be very arrogant. But you, you said it so beautifully. And I think great leaders today, what can we learn from Abraham Lincoln, who brought us through uh, a very difficult time, of course, a civil war, and uniting and keeping the states from, from actually separating and from dissolving the union? Um, and, and abolishing slavery at the same time. I mean, just incredibly life-changing things that he did. Wh- what do you think we could do 
with this kind of an invitation. As you reflected later in the post, you said, you know, what could we do to be different? And I love what you said. You said, in this theme park of I, me, and my that we've all created. I just love that you wrote that, you know. And yet we found it too difficult to pull away from the allure of the I, me, my theme park that we've created. And after all, everyone was playing in that same theme park, making up their own rules as they go along, oblivious to any transgressions of natural law. Our happiness was secure, we believe, because we possessed, you know, as a species, as a nation, and for some of us as an individual, talents and wealth and power. And that we never had to be, you know, responsible to anything else. What, what can we as leaders do? I, I, I recently, you know, interviewed some people that said they wish they would have been more humble when they were young. But do you think it's just a rite of passage that every young person has to learn that they have to be humble? Or can we be humble without having to learn that lesson, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later? Yeah. Um, but first of all, I'm, I'm really glad, uh, Max, that uh, you have shared your um, not just comfort, but... Um, appreciation for bringing God into the conversation yeah. and how you relate to, uh, you know, that relationship with the higher power, you know, so personally, it is something I'm, you know, equally drawn to. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm really appreciative of how, you know, people like Lincoln were able to take that most intimate and personal relationship that we have, which is between us and whatever it is that we see, as our highest potential, as a higher power, as the voice and creator behind the universe or whatever it might be. And how, you know, leaders like him have been able to demonstrate to us that there is a way to actually make it a very practical and applicable relationship in guiding us in the affairs of state, in the affairs of business, in the affairs of life, right? And that it doesn't have to be purely a personal inner quest or something we do on certain days of the week when we go to church. But it's something that can inform, inspire every moment and every action, every decision, which is what uh, Abraham Lincoln was able to do. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in the meanwhile, I've lost my train of thought. Can you remind me of the, uh, yeah. the, the yeah, final piece of your yeah, question? No apologies required. I actually asked too many questions in one question because I got so passionate. <laughs> <laughs> just, but I'm so grateful for this conversation. And thank you for sharing what you just shared about Abraham Lincoln. The second part for me was, do we all have to go through, oh, yes. you know, this, this level of humility in order to learn our mistakes? Or is there some way to realize that humility can be learned and that can be appreciated and can be a better part of our lives without making, you know, the same mistakes that everyone else has made along the way? Or is it just required that we all have to go through this arrogant narcissistic phase that we all learned that, oh, well, that didn't serve us well, and now we'll be more humble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think one tool that can really help us in a more proactive way in creating a sense of very healthy humility yeah. is, is, um, is to always operate with a great sense of awe, mm. a great sense of awe about the magic of this universe, the magic of life, from the tiniest species to the most gigantic and the universe beyond. I mean, it is actually really, to me, at times quite baffling how any, any of us can in any moment ever get bored. Mm -hmm. Because all we have to do is open eyes and examine the kind of mysteries 
that nature just envelops us in everywhere, including the mystery of our own consciousness, mm-hmm. of our own life. I mean, we emerge from just the fusion of two cells. And, and here we are, you know, to do such incredible work in the world mm-hmm. and to feel such deep feelings and connect with each other in some profound ways. And all of that came from just two cells that came together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see ant colonies, and then you see the blossoming of flowers, and then you see the just cycle, you know, of uh, the ecosystems in which in, you know, multiple species and plants and all of that are interacting in some ways that just maintains a magical balance. And then more recently, I came across some of the science of the planetary systems. And I discovered that, in fact, it's not, you know, merely random that we have a certain number of other planets, you know, in our solar system at a certain position and a certain velocity in a certain orbit. Because, in fact, if you just slightly displace Jupiter or Saturn or Mars, or you take the moon away, etc., which today are simulations that can be run on these advanced supercomputers, what you discover is that everything comes to a crashing halt. You know, certain planets just kind of escape from the sun's gravitational pull and just go off into outer space. Others come crashing into the sun. The Earth's axis becomes a little bit wobbly. And suddenly we have extreme heat and extreme cold if the moon wasn't there, etc. And you realize, my heavens, all of these have been put there with some kind of a cosmic plan to create a certain stability and preserve the possibilities of life on our planet, right? Mm -hmm. And so... uh, uh, now, isn't that humbling when you realize that um, there is some intelligence which is so vast and intricate and mysterious and only partially discovered at a very fractional level that uh, who am I to feel like I'm the king or queen, you know, of whatever empire I've built? Because I'm just going to be a little, you know, little small speck in yeah. the, you know, kind of eternity, right? And, and I have a certain role to play in a physical space and time unless I start to deepen my quest yeah. towards understanding myself. And I go to see myself beyond the material, mm-hmm. beyond the fortunes and mansions and fame that I will leave behind at the moment I die. And I ask myself, what, what happens in that moment I die? What is that portal, that door? And what lies on the other side? And which part of me, if any, is going to be retained? Or am I just going to truly be chewed up you know, by ants and bugs and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, and when one starts to ask those harder questions, uh, at least, you know, the hypothesis I want to lay out for our audience today um, is that perhaps you will find that in humbling yourself to that point of realizing how transient the um, and fragile the physical possessions we have are, mm-hmm. it will motivate us to go to a deeper level and suddenly we'll discover some incredible riches which connect us much more deeply with the magic of the universe. I, I love that. And I hope that our listeners today are realizing that it's your invitation around, not only around being in awe of all the things around us, but that we can have a healthy humility, meaning that humility is not a, um, no confidence. It actually is having confidence with a level of understanding and appreciation for the things around us and the people around us, that it's not just us, that we're not just on our own and that we're that you know that we did these things without respect for and and because of the people around us i find that the leaders who have a healthy amount of respect and confidence to be honest with you it's it's both but it's not arrogance it's but a healthy amount of 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 humility and respect and confidence are far more inspiring to me 
How about for you? What do you find in terms of your research? Have you found any leaders that, um, because of this level of respect and awe that you spoke of, are able to influence people more effectively? I, for, uh, so, so, I, so I started my research on leadership about 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And some of it was based on the science of human nature. You know, as, as you know, as much as I, there's an explosion of new insights coming out from psychology and psychotherapy and neuroscience, et cetera, about like, what is, you know, what is the highest potential in life and leadership? And what are some practical insights and tools that science can, you know, bring to focus for us as to how we can, we can choose to influence and inspire ourselves and others and all of that. But then mm-hmm. I also realized, to your point, that it's very important to study actual human stories, people who have walked that path and who have arrived at a place that when we look back at their careers and at their lives, you know, over the course of history, we, we feel a great sense of admiration and appreciation for the causes they took on, the challenging conditions that they navigated and the good places that they were able to take themselves and their people. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you know, I have been deeply uh, in admiration of a few such individuals who have taken that journey. Uh, people mm-hmm. like Abraham Lincoln, who we've spoken about, uh, like Nelson Mandela, like a Mother Teresa, like an Eleanor Roosevelt, like Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and even in the business arena, you know, there are leaders um, like a Warren Buffett or a Steve Jobs. Now, none of these people may be viewed as immaculate, you know, as flawless and have, you know, never made a mistake or miscalculation or misstep. But there is enough going for them in terms of their presence, their impact, their storied contributions, their growth that leaves us with a deep set appreciation for how their lives provide us proof points about what we can also become. I love that. And you bring up some other great leaders and say, even in some of your posts, and I, I encourage listeners, you know, that want to deep dive this a little bit with your posts, go to your, go to your website and check some of these, these posts out. Like the human frailties that Nelson Mandela understood that he had, but yet he inspired not only his nation, but the whole world. How did he do that? Martin Luther King Jr., very young when he was actually assassinated. And I actually stood on the porch where he was assassinated in that hotel, and I was just humbled. Um, I was actually his age the day that I was out there that year that he, um, at 39 years old, standing on that porch, on that balcony, if you will. And I remember that experience, and it was so it was so life-changing for me to stand there realizing that he could do so much with his life at such a young age and inspire so many people to think differently about the way we treat each other. What do you think stands out for you in terms of these leaders? You, you mentioned, you know, Warren Buffett, uh, Steve Jobs, and, and so many others. I think of like Alan Mulally at Ford previously, you know, or uh, just so many other great leaders who inspire us every day to be better even though they themselves are not perfect. And that's okay, because none of us are. None of us are perfect. So I don't think that we should be putting people into per- perfection in terms of the, you know, the, the requirement. And I'm kind of concerned at this point that sometimes in our media and our social media, we actually end up demonizing very good people um, that have done really great things, um, and we unfairly judge them for the, the ways that they've fallen short in different ways. What do you think? Yes, yes. Uh, 
there are a few very thoughtful points you're making here, Max, all of which I'm in agreement with. So first of all, what, what is it that you ask, you know, that uh, I see in these leaders um, that, you know, shapes and drives their, their success? Um, perhaps the one singular most unifying theme is that these great leaders were great followers. Yeah. Now, there is uh, an idea like this, which is out there in the field of leadership that leadership is about followership. But that idea is about how leaders need to be great listeners. They need to be able to learn from their own flock Mm -hmm. and keep bringing in others who may have the most relevant idea for today's time into a place of ownership and leadership and therefore take on more of a backstage role rather than always being on the front stage leading from the front. They can lead from the back. So leaders are followers of their own people in some ways. And I think that's a very noble idea. And you certainly see examples of that in various chapters and moments in these leaders' history. Mm. But it's also true that many times these leaders had to lead from the front. In fact, in many cases, they were vastly way out there. They could see things in a much more advanced light than many of their followers. And they really had to work hard towards you know, starting from where their followers were and seeking to pull them and nudge them and then take them in a noble and beautiful direction. So I don't think that these leaders were always, you know, necessarily, you know, choosing to just, you know, be following their people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is another way to interpret that, you know, phrase of great leaders are great followers. And that is that great leaders are great followers of their own inner voice. Mm. They have a deep regard for their intuition. They recognize that they too, just like us, are living in a very noisy time. And there is all kinds of advice and counsel and guidance and push and pressures and demands that they're going to get. And you really cannot please all the people all the time. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they take time and put in effort on a regular basis to nurture that inner space, to be able to eliminate, in a sense, the din of the madding crowds and to listen to what that inner guidance is directing them towards. Now, some might call it their relationship with God. Uh, Others like Mandela, I didn't hear him as much speak about some higher entity like that. But I did hear him speak a lot about his values, his purpose, his priorities, and how he thought that even his 27 years in prison were a tremendous opportunity for him to deepen that connection with his core core values and purpose and principles. Um, and so whether you think about it in terms of these codified principles and, and, and values that you deeply espouse and believe in, whether you think about it as a relationship with a higher power that you feel when you're really unemotional and calm and unattached and, you know, really can put your ego aside, you can kind of like listen to truth in whichever form it comes knocking on your inner doors, or whether you think about it in terms of um, just a intuitive sense and guidance that you get from within, wherever it comes from, whichever way you want to think about it. Um, Yes, great leaders are great followers because they're great listeners, but not necessarily only listeners to the outer voices, but also listeners to that inner voice. Oh, I think that is just so powerful. 
you know, you talk about this in, in your work and in the body of work that you do. I know as the founder of, of Mentora and within your, your body of, of knowledge and the research that you do, you have some really great leadership models, which actually align really closely with the models that I used to teach, particularly at the Shingo Institute as well. Um, and particularly around understanding our purpose and our principles and how they live and guide us. And I mean, it was just, it's fun to read your work for the same reason, but you talk about the untapped potential of each individual. We used to talk about this and still do, but when I was at the Shingo Institute, we actually created this content, which was the foundational truth to why we really should respect every individual is because every person has untapped potential and intrinsic value. Therefore, we, we, sh we should respect everyone. We should just respect everyone. And you wrote that, untapped potential, unshackling the, unlimited, the limiting beliefs of, about character and personality and emotional intelligence to allow participants and people to discover their own true potential so that we can get beyond those limiting beliefs that often keep us from, from living a bigger way. Yes, that's beautiful. I, I really relate to that so much. And I'm so glad that you shared how foundational it was in your own teaching and work as well. I, I find that just to be so, so beautiful as an idea, both for your own self, right? Because we do beat ourselves up from time to time. We limit ourselves from time to time. We confine ourselves to these are things I can do and these are things I cannot. But we're all dynamic. We are work in progress. Who knows where it is we could be a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, et cetera. Why limit those possibilities? to whatever character or personality or leadership qualities or talents you've had in the past, you know? And so, so yes, yeah, so that, that recognition of our own untapped potential. And then, well, if that's true of you, then isn't it true of that person and that person and that person and that group and that nation and that society and, and all of humanity? And you just have to look back at the past you know, to see where humanity was in some dark age era and where it is today. And much as there is, uh, you know, a source of, you know, grave concern we have about some of the, you know, liabilities of humanity today, you know, in some measure, we should also feel a tremendous sense of elation about the manner in which we are so much more advanced as a race today than, you know, what you see prevailing in humanity as values and practices, you know, 500 years ago or a thousand years ago. And if so that's where we are today collectively, I mean, imagine where we will be a thousand years from now. Who knows what kind of yeah. super humans we're all going to become, right, uh, in that period of time. And so, yes, to your point, I mean, anytime we encounter anybody, regardless of their frailties and their failings, you know, why not recognize that within them lies who knows what kind of potential. And all we've got to do, all we've got to do is just um, hear a few stories of the kind of unexpected transformation some people have gone through. Once their conditions changed, once they matured, once they put their heart into developing themselves in a new way, once they got a kick in the butt, and open themselves up humbly to a new understanding of what they needed to do. We just have to hear a few of those stories to see that, oh, boy, this is just that potential that is playing out in this person, which many of us may not consciously mold and use, but it's there. You know, it's there. Yeah. Well, and, and the next step in this, of course, is we talk about the potential and understanding what that is for us. And then you say, follow the principles, the inside out principles. And that's what we would teach as well. And that's what we teach today is if we're not following principles that are universal 
and and exist no matter whether we recognize them or not. There's always consequences, regardless of whether we follow them. Um, we have a choice: do we follow the principles or not? Right? And you and you mentioned in your work a set of inside-out principles. Can you talk a little bit about that and how they help shape your leadership behavior and stabilize your inner core as you as you write in your work? Let me give you an example. Yeah. Let's say that you are needing to walk into a conversation with an individual. Mm-hmm. And you really want to try to kind of open them up to a new kind of understanding about something, mm-hmm. but you're feeling really unhappy, anxious, concerned because you had three or four past interactions with them. You know where they stand on the issue. It sort of uh, leaves you deflated because you feel like they're a little bit biased and self-serving and what have you, right? Now, what would happen if you walk into that conversation with that belief system? that this is who this person is, this is how they've been acting so far on this matter. It's kind of like already like a closed mind and what am I going to gain anyway? And so I just have to go through the motions here, but like fundamentally, this is not going to be a fun or a, you know successful conversation. Imagine how you're going to act in a moment like that and how they will react and what have you. And now think about checking within, seeing before the meeting, seeing how you are limiting the possibilities of this individual and this meeting based on the judgments that you already come to and the intention, therefore, that you're carrying into this meeting that this is just a going to the motions kind of meeting. Mm-hmm. And you put that aside and you tell yourself, no, I'm going to find something to like about this person. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, two years ago, we worked on that project and they made that contribution and they were part of that team. And I know that team did this good work, you know, and, and you know, there were these two moments where that person or, you know, et cetera, they changed their mind, you know, about something and, well, I realized what made them change their mind was when I could put it in a way that really inspired them, that made them see it as something deeply connected with something that they really value. Maybe I need to do that. Maybe I need to discover a little bit about what makes this person tick and how could I really connect that with the case I want to make for this project to go on, et cetera. So maybe I should walk in with some curiosity. Maybe I should walk in with that sense of appreciation of other times when this person's done noble things. Maybe I should walk in with a sense of possibilities as to you know the fact that transformation can happen and people can come together and get aligned behind something that they're disagreeing on initially once you achieve those breakthroughs and build those bridges. And so this is now a like a puzzle that I have to solve. I'm going to go in with a little bit of data. I'm going to try to get some more data. And then, you know, hopefully the jigsaw puzzle comes together. You know, at the end of, mm-hmm. now what energy are you going to unleash when you walk into that meeting? Now what kind of a conversation are you going to be interested in having? What questions are you going to ask? Mm-hmm. What body language are you going to con- convey? You know, how welcome is this person going to feel, you know, in your presence, et cetera? And who knows? Who knows what breakthroughs may emerge? I mean, there's no guarantee, but haven't you at least increased the odds of a successful outcome, right? And so that becomes an inside-out principle, right? And the inside-out principle here is that anytime you choose to engage, now we can all disengage, we can fire people, we can walk away from an organization, we can, you know, divorce somebody, We, 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 we can disengage if we want to, but if we are engaging, why not engage with positive intention? Because the positive intention makes you maximize the possibilities of getting to successful win-win outcomes, right? And so that's an example of an inside-out principle. I I hope listeners are are hearing the example here about how we show up prior to even having that meeting 
and that it really comes back to our own lives and our own mentality and our own frameworks before I even go and engage that other individual, right? And, and as leaders, we will have better outcomes if we just listen to this invitation you just made for us, which is what is my intention? What kind of outcome would I hope to see from this as opposed to just judging this person as it's always a failure, they're always a problem, and then going and attacking them and making that come true. What if I actually did include some of these other mindsets that you just suggested to be able to embrace that individual in a new way, to have a new conversation that maybe we haven't had been able to have in the past? And how many times when someone reframes the relationship like that, have they been able to create a better outcome? Very powerful. Yeah. And, and you know, for those of us who haven't really formally thought like this, I just want to encourage you to conduct an experiment. Mm-hmm. You know, take some interaction or meeting that you're going to have in the next few days and approach it, you know, approach it with this mind frame. Do the little bit of like pre-work to do some soul searching, ferret out some of your, you know, angst or concerns about that conversation, write down what thoughts you're experiencing and then work on changing that energy, you know, changing that expectation, changing that focus, you know, finding things where you see possibilities and positivity, et cetera, in that person and, you know, and all of that. And then walk into that conversation and then come back and reflect. Now, you may not be able to move the needle 100%, mm-hmm. but you may find that unexpectedly some movement happened, mm-hmm. some deeper connection were built, some more understanding was forged, some more openness emerged from your mind or their mind, et cetera. You just never know. But I would be surprised if you don't at least see some movement. And that will give you the clarity and confidence to keep going down that path of making this part of just your, your discipline, right, as a leader. Yeah. And, and what you're talking about right now, of course, is, is that once we understand potential, we talk about the principles, we still have to deliver. We still have to act. And that's the art of deliberate practice, as you call it, which is we have to put the actions into motion, right? We have to act our way almost into this new way of thinking, which takes a little bit of time. So this experiment, you've just invited everyone to engage in, to reframe and to try something new in a different way and to see if they can't get a different outcome. I hope people will practice that it won't just be, hey, you know, I just heard this theory on this episode or that, you know, this another, another piece of, of information that we've heard from a leadership guru. I hope people will hear something and say, gosh, I can do this better. I can improve a relationship. I can make a relationship better, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a leader, whether it's with um, uh, just anyone in your life, anyone in your life. How could you reframe that experience to have a better outcome than you would have had otherwise? Beautiful. I really appreciate that. What, can you tell us a story of someone who's inspired you? I know you write about lots of them um, in your work. Um, maybe just point one, one or two. I mean, I don't want to limit you, but, but um, I would just love to hear a story that's inspired you of someone. And what was it that inspired you? Uh, when you're talking to your, your Columbia MBA students, what are some of the messages that you're helping them? Perhaps it's a two-part, you know, because I'm thinking about this story and how stories inspire me. And you just mentioned it a moment ago, how talking about the stories of great people inspires you. Um, do you share some of these stories with your MBA students? How are you relating to them to help them want to learn and to do different things rather than just go to a class, get a grade and check it off? How are you getting them to actually practice what you're talking about? So maybe yeah. two part question. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, you know, the, 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 one is blessed that uh, when one really 
starts to inquire about you know storied lives that there are so many that have you know walked uh, walked on earth that uh, we we can you know we can just be busy the rest of our lives just uh, studying admiring getting to know those people um one of them uh to pick one uh is eleanor roosevelt for me mm-hmm. uh i get really inspired by her for a few reasons first that she was so ahead of her times with regard to how she saw a much more equal and just world than what she experienced around her whether it was to do with uh race issues you know the african american cause in america whether it was to do with gender issues the cause of women in america or just purely um you know the social demographic income you know and and matters of just like peace and harmony around the world and she played on all of those causes in the platforms that she was able to get as the wife of a prominent politician who ultimately became one of uh, America's most successful presidents in history but then later on also as America's own representative in certain critical international platforms like the United Nations where she led this uh, committee in formulating and announcing this declaration of um, universal human rights a very pivotal moment in the history of the united nations so she was way ahead of her times fighting for those causes in her own ways um at a time when even a lot of america was not giving it a very sympathetic air but then the other thing i really find inspiring about her is how she didn't start there she had very humble beginnings she was very insecure a kind of a beaten up you know she became often at a fairly young age she wasn't really that liked or encouraged by her mother because she was considered to be the ugly duckling of the family and at that time you know women weren't expected to do a whole lot except for being pretty wives you know and and you know cultured kind of just like homemakers uh and starting off you know from that uh, she gains a certain education in england which really opens her mind up a little bit because it's an all women school where the headmistress is somebody who uh you know just is truly inspiring to her then she comes back gets married to fdr is um is uh you know has a uh, has a mother-in-law who's extremely assertive and somewhat diminishing of her you know sense of growing autonomy and she ultimately has to you know kind of like pull away from that grip as well and go to albany when her husband becomes the governor of the state of new york to finally find her bearing and then gets shaken up again when her husband uh, she discovers you know has had an affair and she realizes that the romance between him and her is not what she thought it would be and then she has to make a choice of whether she should stay in the relationship and find a way to kind of manage and create a protocol with him and get a commitment from him that he won't see her again etc or 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 leave and she decides to stay and and so there are these two or three moments including the you know loss of her parents the um loss of autonomy in her you know mother-in-law's home and then ultimately the discovery of this affair Mm-hmm. and rather than have any of those moments be a source of victimhood or bitterness mm-hmm. or a feeling of you know vindictiveness towards the conditions and people and you know concern she translates each of these into a moment of deep self reflection mm-hmm. of making the choice to grow from those moments and to seek to become that much more a woman of steel you know who has you know a much greater clarity about what she stands for 
a great um, stable sense of self-worth, you know, that comes from within rather than depending on these outside forces mm -hmm. and a deep passion to go out and live her life to its fullest potential by pursuing these beautiful public causes that she had deep heart for. So the fact that she went through so much adversity and she used it to mold and shape first herself and then to, in fact, project that into shaping and molding the world as well. Yes. That's really inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate, you know, the stories of those who've gone through so much adversity and it's, it's different than just hearing a soundbite of one person's cause and not realizing that the person behind that cause and all the things they went through in order to be able to even be where they are, the risks, the criticism, the, the, the hate and the threats even that people received in order to make the world a better place in any way that they could. Right. Very true. And to that end, I do want to encourage, you know, uh, us and uh, our listeners here that, um, you know, if you have a, point of view, a thought and aspiration, which you think comes from a very noble place and is in the ultimate advancement of humanity, just because it may not be popular and people may not agree with you in your immediate environment, you know, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be seeking to find a path through which to, ac to, to, to express it and pursue it, mm -hmm. right? Rather than just kind of like let it go because you kind of like want to be in the mainstream and you want to be accepted and you don't want to ruffle the feathers. Take on that challenge. Take on the challenge to ask yourself, well, what part of it, you know, is, you know, is, is just, just a little bit beyond the edge for people. So I can actually put it out there, you know, put it out there. And what part should I like defer until kind of an appropriate later time, you know, of this truth that I deeply believe in? What's a way of putting it in a way that is very palatable and acceptable to people? Um, what are some platforms through which I can, you know, do it in a way uh, that will open people up, you know, et cetera. And along the way, if there is going to be some percentage of criticism, et cetera, is that net net still worth, um, worth taking on, you know, taking on that cause? Right. Because I think um, so many of us just let our best intentions just, um, you know, get a little bit sidelined because we live in that state of deference, you know, to a mainstream model of what is right and wrong. Hmm. I also think that, there's a level here of learning from one another that is important. Um, the danger I find that there are times where people think that because they know their truth, that there's no other truth or that, or that there's a, no acceptance of other people because they have the only truth. Um, I think it can be dangerous as well. Right? So I think that I, my hope is, is that people would say, the truth, like living principles, universal principles, what are those truths, you know, like you speak about in terms of principles? What are those principles that we can live by? For instance, when I teach people that we should lead, lead with humility or treat every individual with respect, I believe those are universal principles we should all know. So how do they guide my life? They guide my life because if I'm not leading with humility or if I'm not treating individuals and every individual with respect, what is my behavior like? that would reflect against that principle, right? Or if I really want to create value for my customer coming back to business, what is creating value for my customer really look like? What does that value look like? And, and, and some business people really get that. You know, the Steve Jobs, like you said, really good at being able to have this vision and being able to bring people through that vision to be able to bring tremendous value to the customer that even the customer didn't even know that they wanted 
but created this value that people just realized was so powerful. People had come before him and had tried other things, even even trying to create, you know, smart, uh, an iPhone instead of an iPhone, but you know, these, these, these devices that everything could come together. When the internet first came, I, I remember a professor, one of my professors in grad school taught me that he was part of this group that was trying to create this new internet, the collection of all things. And they realized that instead of trying to create the library with all this massive data, the, the, the expertise came from enabling everyone to contribute. And I thought that was interesting, right? That everyone could contribute. The, the challenge for me now is there are universal principles in this life that, like, like you said, being in awe of people, but I'm also quite concerned when we get to this point where we say, oh, but only my truth matters. Only my truth is the real truth and everything else is wrong. And social media sometimes can even narrow our focus to where we can become quite intolerant and we can't even have civil dialogue anymore. And I guess that comes back to the next question, which I asked earlier, which is, how do you relate to your MBA students in a way that they can move to action? How do you, how do you communicate with them now so that they can, so that they can be brave to take action in their lives and do things within their lives that might not be popular, but frankly, also respect universal principles and not just, you know, that this intolerant view where we're going to cancel or, or condemn everyone that we disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my principle in training and education is that all we can do is be catalysts. Yeah. That the ultimate sort of energy and Philip, you know, has to come from each individual to make a choice for themselves. Are they happy? Are they not happy with where they are in life today? Do they see, you know, do they have a hunger for wanting to grow and advance and rethink and reinvent in certain ways? Mm -hmm. Or do they not? And if they do not, then I hold back. Then I am not um, really, uh, I don't believe that I have earned the right to sit on the table and excite them and inspire them to go on a growth journey. But if there is some deep felt, either pain or difficulty or challenge in their life, or an unmet hunger, an aspiration, a hope, a desire that is far from fulfilled, then we can have a conversation. Then, then we are in business, hmm. you know, as uh, enablers of growth, right? And then we can start opening, you know, their mind up to, um, well, is it the case that there is a scientific approach towards this? You know, that there are, in fact, certain principles through which I can flourish more in terms of my happiness level, my relationships, my success in my career, my health, and what have you. And, and, and what are those principles? And, yeah. oh, okay, you know, I'm, I'm drawn to this one. I'm drawn to that. All right, well, then maybe I experiment with it. I try it out. I see what results it brings me. And, um, yeah, and if it's working for me, then that's, that's cool because now I have something that can, you know, be used to sustain a certain next step in, in, in my growth, right? And so, so um, I encourage them to do a lot of self-reflection to identify where they feel that hunger or that dissatisfaction or that pain, and then to look for a path or a solution that will help them most there. For some, it might be a very action-oriented path of something that they need to do you know, in their career or their lives. For others, it might be a more thought-oriented path of really reflecting on their patterns of thinking and their beliefs and working on changing them. For others, it might be a very heart-based path of just 
connecting with compassion and love and seeking to more actively express that energy in all that they do, et cetera. You know, for some it might be more meditative and more of a mindfulness-based path of really going to a place of deep self-discovery, you know, uh, to a place of pure consciousness. And so, um, you know, we all have different temperaments. And so we might get inspired to take on one or more of these paths, which ultimately can then do us good. But it all starts from a place of self inquiry self motivation even before the inquiry with there you you, you got to feel like life as i know it right now or leadership and the way it's going right now for me isn't close to my full potential i could be so much more or, or this is really hurting and, and then then we can get you know then we can be in business we can get started um coming back to the earlier point you make i respect that a lot i i you know i, I like to think that it, it's valuable to stay in a state of paradox you know where you see the truth in two opposing ideas Mm-hmm. And so the two opposing ideas that I would offer, you know, our audience here is the one that you shared and the one that I shared, right? Mm-hmm. The one that you shared is don't get too stuck in, you know, a limiting groove of your own belief, you know, about something. Open yourself up to the ideas and thoughts that you're getting from others because you just never know how you might emerge with a new, deeper, broader, better view of, of, of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and the other part is, don't let the noise of that, you know, stuff that you're hearing from the world and from the media and from others drown out the subtle signals and guidance you might get in the calmest of your moments from your inner voice as well and the stirrings you have where you feel a little bit uncomfortable about what a you know, circle of friends just said about yes. a situation, but you're nodding your head politely because you just want to go with the flow and you're not kind of fully tuning in to why did I feel uncomfortable? What was yeah. it about what they yeah. said, which may have violated a core value that I might have, et cetera, or not? You know, and so, so I think you're absolutely right. If you just do one without the other, like if you just follow your in accord without some amount of discipline and attunement to others, you're on the risk of being blindsided by ego and, you know, blind faith and what have you, right? Uh, I really appreciate that. And, and you're right. It is a both and, isn't it? Because we do need to be able to defend something when we feel like something's down. In fact, my, my daughter... Um, we adopted her from China. And when she was only, you know, 38 pounds, about, <laughs> about seven years old, she saw a little girl being bullied by some older boys that were like 10 or 12, like double her age and double her size. And she just went up to him and said, hey, that's not right. You know, she was like defending, she was defending this little girl that was being bullied. And I just thought, wow, she's so brave. And that's, I'm so proud of her for that moment where she could stand up for someone else. So I agree with you there. It is a both and it really is a both and, but I think there's a level of respect that we have to grant to one another in terms of being able to have thoughtful civil dialogue in a world where we shut everything down um, so quickly that we are not even allowed to have civility in the dialogue. You know what I mean? And, and wrong is still wrong. I am with you a hundred percent. And there is, there's evil in this world. There's wrong in this world. And there's a level of intolerance at the same time where we don't have civility between people now because maybe because of differences of skin color or ethnicity or um, religious background or economic background. Um, So many different ways that we can be torn apart when there's so many other reasons why we could come closer together. Yes, I I, uh, am with you. And I think your principle of striving towards unconditional respect yeah, and seeing the untapped potential in people, you know, those two principles that you've talked about can be the foundation stones on which the civil discourse can happen 
uh, I think more, more, more broadly, because, because it gets shut down when we have these surges of emotion that lead to quick judgments that this other person doesn't get it, they're, uh, you know, they're biased, you know, they're clearly on, quote unquote, the other side, and, and we shut down. You know, in that moment, then. Right. But in fact, if we if we practice what you were saying about unconditional respect, and we say, "No, I respect this person. I respect mm-hmm. their viewpoint. There must be a reason why they're saying what they're saying. They must be coming here based on some lived experiences that I have gone through, which mm-hmm. might inform their worldview. And so, if I can be curious and open myself up and understand, you know, if nothing else, maybe at the end of the day, my position may not change." Mm-hmm. But maybe at the minimum, I would at least appreciate and understand and respect those who hold a different point of view because I can see what's taking them there. And the thing that sticks in my mind as you share that is your ability to touch the students only when they're willing to receive. Like you said, if they're not willing to receive, it's very hard to influence. Um, And it reminds me of a story from many, many years ago. In fact, I don't remember if it was Vineet Nayar um, from India, who I was speaking with in a podcast years ago. Um, and he, he wrote a book called um, Employees Come First, Customers Second. Just a great book. And, and, but he wrote, he, he told me of a, of a story where, you know, the young man goes to the guru saying, hey, I need, I need wisdom, I need learning, I need training, I'm ready to go. And then to prove himself worthy of teaching, he just started t- saying all of his expertise and how smart he was and how great he was. And, and, and the, the guru is sitting there pouring the, the young man a cup of tea. And the cup of tea is now overflowing, spilling out over the table. And the young man goes, stands up and he's like, oh, you must be a fool. The, you, can't you see that the tea is flowing over? It's spilling everywhere. And, and the, the guru says, you know, your mind is kind of like this cup. <laughs> it's too full of things right now. I can't teach you anything. So come back when you're really willing to listen. And I think you just said the same thing about your students. You can't teach someone who's not willing to listen. Yeah, you know, and, and um, I, I also have to say, I mean, I, I respect that. You know, when, when someone is uh, maybe not interested in learning more, it may be that they, they ha- I mean, they have their path, you know, they have their path to happiness. And for this chapter of their life, that's, that's all they need. And they're dedicated to it and committed to it. You know, um, I think you and I, I'm sure in our profession, have both been in situations where somebody sometimes is very enthusiastic. Right. You know, in a very well-intentioned way to bring you, you know, a certain book or a certain speaker or a certain idea because it's really helped them. And they just want to share that wealth with everybody else. Meanwhile, yeah. you may have your own principle. You may have your own path. You may have your own teacher. And you're at peace with it. You know, you're in a good place. <laughs> so uh, you don't really need it. And so you celebrate it, you know, for their own you know, benefit. But yeah. you're not really interested in wanting to go to that seminar, you know, yeah. or, or, or read that book or something. You're in a good place. So, uh, so sometimes I think, you know, when you also remember from the other side that, um, that it's okay, you know, it's okay to be, yeah, to be, to be in that place, <laughs> you, know, for, for, yeah. you know, for for that moment in your life. It's so, a both end, isn't it? It's yeah, a both yeah. end. Well, thank you for your, for your conversation today. You've written so many beautiful things for me. Uh, I think great learners and great, great leaders, um, like you said earlier, are always learning new things. And I think there's real power in that. I'm learning from these conversations and I'm appreciative of the work you're doing to share a really positive message with people. And I appreciate that very much. 
So well, thank, thank you, Max. You. It's, uh, it's evident to me that you have done some deep thinking and living uh, on these topics. And it is uh, you know, such a joy to connect uh, with you in that very sort of like whole person way. Uh, I know that uh, you know, your work must be of such tremendous insight and inspiration to your audience. I'm grateful to have had this chance. I certainly welcome you know, all who are listening to, uh, as you've said, to my website, hitendra.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. You can um, sign up for the Intersections webcast I do every week. And, uh, uh, you know, I look forward to having our paths continue to cross and to have me continue to follow your great work as well, Max. So thank you for today. Well, likewise, there is so much more to uncover. And perhaps in another episode, we can talk again and about more of your work and what you're doing around purpose and wisdom, love and growth and self-realization and how these things all intersect to help us become better leaders and to live more fulfilling lives. So I really do thank you, Hitendra, for, uh, for just a wonderful conversation today. I think there's just so much more we could discuss, but for today, we'll leave it there. And, uh, and we thank the listeners for joining us today. And I hope that they will come to your website. There's some really great stories there. I'm really grateful for the messages you've shared with folks to help us become better. And I, I think these kind of discussions are part of that journey. To our listeners, thank you for listening to the Purpose and Principles podcast. Encourage you to come back again next week. and We'll have another good conversation. Thanks again, Hitendra, for joining us today. Thank you and all the best to all of you.